Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I am Ben Ennis. So today is like the exhale after what was an incredible opening day of baseball around Major League Baseball. New rules, pitch clock, bigger bases, no shift. Blue Jays seemingly unaffected by, well, most of that. I would say that there were a couple of hits that I thought, oh, interesting. What would those have looked like if uh, there had been shifts on? But time of game certainly uh, was up there, almost four hours between the Blue Jays and Cardinals, and one stolen base, but one caught stealing as well. Let's talk to our pal, John Morosi of MLB Network. How's it going, John? Outstanding. That was uh, quite a day one of the baseball season. Lots of things to talk about. You had the, the pitch timer, the stolen bases. It is a new game, my friend. It absolutely is. And uh, despite a couple of blown leads, uh, the Blue Jays certainly happy to get off to a, a 1-0 start. I would say, John, considering the way the season ended for them in, the, in one of the most crushing defeats, not just in Blue Jays history, but like in postseason history, uh, to blow right. that big lead to the Seattle Mariners to not blow yet another late game lead in game one of the regular season. Does that have like extra import for, for a team that wants to win a World Series? I think so. Uh, it certainly does still illustrate that there is maybe a, a bit of work to do in, in terms of building the bridge and, and, and getting the, the last outs of a, of a crucial game. I still think that's going to be one thing the Jays have to work on with their, with their roster management as you get towards the trade deadline. But I think that the key thing in the early part of the year is to not let a game like yesterday get away and really spoil the the momentum. And I, I think back even uh, the, the year in which the, the Jays obviously built things up in, in a big way. This now goes back about ten years ago. And and I remember early on they, they never quite got the momentum going in the right direction, and it sort of snowballed on them. I, I really believe that early on in the year, as long as you can avoid the really disastrous losses and, and you're around 500 or better after the first month of the year. You're on a good trajectory, and I think along those lines, yesterday's win was was crucial for the Jays to to show also that, that they've got that character to where they're never out of a game. And and I, for me, when I when I saw that the Arenado uh, ball into the left field corner and the Cardinals take the lead, you certainly think, okay, they're they're all set now. That the St. Louis is going to win this ball game. But obviously, the Jays showed a ton of character. I think Springer's at bats were really good. Kiermaier, the base running there was crucial. Merrifield base running. A lot of those those more nuanced skills that we've talked about a lot with this team, they showed up. So the score line looked a little sloppy at the end, but I think you saw a really good baseball team, one through nine, and one that's going to be relentless with that bats late in the game. I think that, to me, is a really important hallmark of the Blue Jays here in 2023. Yeah, and the opening day I think you're referring to was 2013. Blue Jays do all the moves. They make the trade with the Marlins. They go out and acquire R.A. Dickey as well. And in that opening day start, you know, I think there were three pass balls, J.P. Aaron C.B., and they, they end up losing the game after becoming uh, Las Vegas right. favorites to, to, to win the World Series. Uh, there was 10 years ago. That's not, that seems like I knew that was about a decade ago, but you're right on. 2013, my goodness. Long time ago, my friend. It absolutely was. Uh, yeah, no, we overrated that team. Um, but they eventually did make the playoffs two, uh, two years after that in 2015, of course, with the incredible uh, trade deadline. Uh, so I want to talk to you about the game that you were at yesterday in the Bronx at Yankee Stadium. Uh, Yankees beating the Giants five to nothing. I, I think I want to start with Garrett Cole, who's obviously public enemy number one in these in these parts because of uh, his run in with Alec Manoa. And he gave up, I understand, the most home runs in the American League last year. But what he's done for the Yankees since he arrived on that big deal, is, has he almost become underrated? Um, maybe considering that, you know, he wasn't uh, a top five 
American League Cy Young Award candidate last year. He was top 10, but that this guy still has the potential to be the best pitcher in the sport. You're exactly right, and I'm really glad that you framed it that way because I think for him, you know, there was certainly the wild card game that went against him in 2021 at Fenway, but aside from that, he's been great in the postseason. You go back to 2019 with Houston, and then last year with New York, again, was really good in the playoffs, and he's been durable. You look at last year, he hit 200 innings, which not a lot of guys do nowadays with the most strikeouts in the major leagues. He's an ace, a legit ace, and I think that for for him, yesterday's start was a really emphatic way to begin the 2023 season. I compare it to to last year against Boston. There was he he just wobbled a bit on opening day, and and it didn't really seem like he had gotten off to a really good start in in that game one of of 2022. And so for him to start yesterday against a still a pretty good lineup in San Francisco, he just overpowered them. He was overwhelming yesterday. And I think the tempo, uh, the new pitch timer maybe even fed into his advantage where he was just working so quickly, so efficiently. And a lot of those at-bats, the Giants just didn't have a chance. And so if I'm the Yankees, especially when you consider Cortez had the injury issue early on in camp. Um, You look at some other injuries, of course, Montas, with him being out. They needed what Cole gave them in a a big way yesterday, and I just thought he answered the bell uh, on a pretty special day in in the Bronx. That was uh, an opening day strikeouts record for any Yankee starter in history. That was a pretty impressive display, and one that I think fed into a a really strong narrative for the, for the Yankees. It was a very clean game, played really good defense. Judge was judge, first inning homer. Volpe's debut I thought was really impressive, too, with the quality of his at-bats. So even though the Yankees, I, I, I'm not sure that I love them uh, to win the division in the same way that, that I really think that Toronto's got a golden opportunity, that was a pretty nice reminder to the sport yesterday of, of how many marquee players the Yankees still have. And to your point, I can't wait to see a Cole-Manoa showdown, hopefully a few times during the course of the year, because that's going to be great baseball theater. No question about it. Um, Yeah, and and you mentioned Volpe making his Major League debut yesterday. It's, 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 listen, as as much as Blue Jays fans don't like the Yankees, you can't deny the history that exists when someone puts on that uniform, plays in that ballpark, and I know it's not the same one, it's across the street, but... It's it's still called Yankee Stadium. And playing that position, you, you're always going to be compared to Derek Jeter, right? One of the, the best to ever do it. Um, this is a guy who, who grew up idolizing the Yankees as well. Um, and I know you got to talk to him. What, what were your impressions of, of Volpe? I know he didn't get his first hit, had a walk and a strikeout yesterday. But but what are we looking at here with the, with the youngster? Really impressive first first game, Ben. I, I, I thought that a couple things. Number one, I think the reason why the embrace is so strong from the fans there is not just that he's a highly regarded prospect, it's that he's he's one of them. He grew up, to your point, he was born in New Jersey, grew up in Manhattan for a while, and then back in New Jersey, uh, went to Del Barton School with the son of, of Al Leiter, Jack Leiter. So he's, he's steeped in New York, New Jersey baseball lore. And his, his father, Dr. Michael Volpe, when I spoke with him a couple of days ago, told me a great story about being at spring training and, and Anthony's sister, Olivia, being there. And Olivia saying to her dad, "Wow, you know all these all these grownups are here wearing you know wearing Yankee uniforms and, and Yankee jerseys and hats, and they're watching practice. Like like what are these people doing here?" And and uh, Dr. Volpe says to her, "Don't you understand? Like we are these people. We are crazy Yankee fans. They they are us. We are them. This is what we do. We'd be here even if 
your brother wasn't playing shortstop. So I, I thought that was kind of cool and a really unique insight that there's a reason why during the roll call in the Bronx yesterday, he, he kissed the NY on his jersey. Like, that's that's him. It, it so rarely happens, it seems, in this sport. Maybe you see it a bit more in, in soccer where uh, a kid who grows up idolizing a club maybe goes to play for the academy and stays there and signs there and is always there. It doesn't happen in baseball quite like this. It just—it really doesn't because of the draft, and it's just—it's a different setup. And so when it does, and the player's really this good, and and he grows up in the shadow of the stadium, so to speak, and his parents go on dates to the old stadium, and his mom was a Lupinella fan, his dad's a Thurman Munson fan. Like this stuff doesn't happen in baseball, and so I really think that was a pretty powerful acknowledgement from the Yankee fans that he really is one of them. And um, this could go great. Certainly there's going to be a lot of pressure on him, and I think his his family is really grounded, which is important, and that certainly came through when I spoke with Anthony yesterday after the game, like how humble and grounded he is. I think that's going to be really important because there's no better place to be great than New York, and there's no harder place to, to lose than New York. So I, I think he's going to have to find a way to, to really balance that out, and I think he does. I mean, he's, both of his parents are doctors. Uh, happy National Doctors Day to both of them, by the way, uh, from yesterday. So it's just it's a pretty powerful uh, story that I think we're going to be following for a long time. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, they love him now, and, and maybe they'll love him forever. But, yeah, no, he goes through his first slump, and, and it, it, those cheers right. turn into Tough. booze uh, pretty, pretty quickly. Let's stay in the American League East. We had an all-AL uh, East affair at Fenway Park between the Orioles and Red Sox, and, I mean, there was a ton of runs scored, I guess, uh, it, it, maybe identifying the weaknesses of, of both ball clubs. But, man, you want to talk about young stars of the game. Adley Rutschman uh, appears to be that, John, and uh, – yeah, like, like I said, the, the pitching element might be missing for the Orioles, but we saw them surprise a season ago. Like, is it is there a potential, a non-zero uh, percentage of the Orioles joining the conversation with the Blue Jays, Yankees, and Rays in battling for the top of this division? Uh, I think they're they're right there. Now, now are they as talented as, as the Jays and Yankees, 1 through 26? No. I mean, not, not in terms of raw talent. But I, I go back, and again, we referenced 2013 early on in our conversation. I go back to 2012 where, uh, when the Orioles made the playoffs in a year where basically none of their numbers added up. Sabermetrically, it did not make any sense. Uh, they had a nice blend of young guys and some veterans, and I think that with this team, the youth, Rutschman is still a very young player. Mountcastle is still a pretty young player. Henderson, young player. Uh, and on the pitching side, a lot of youth. But they've also got some stars. Santander is, is a legitimate star, middle-of-the-order bat. Mullins was playing on Team USA for a reason. I mean, there are some really, really good bats here. I think uh, Adam Frazier signing there was a really nice pickup for Baltimore. So they're going to hit. And I think if their bullpen is able to, to, to win enough games and preserve enough leads late, which I think they can. I, I know yesterday certainly uh, the bullpen wobbled a bit, and Bautista uh, gave up a couple hits and a couple runs before things settled down in the ninth inning. I, I'm, I'm a believer. I, I think this team is going to be really good, and they'll probably benefit as well, Ben, from the from – the, more balanced schedule in terms of playing more games against the Central and the West. They'll be able to pick up some more wins against uh, you know teams that maybe would would have benefited from the previous schedule. I think you might see two wild card teams coming out of the East this year, and and maybe that's a path for Baltimore. I mean, listen, I I like Baltimore as a club 
more than I like the Red Sox roster. Boston's got a lot of distractions right now about Bogarts not being there and, and how the whole offseason went down, whereas Baltimore, I think, still has youth on their side, and guys like Henderson and Rutschman, I, I think, and Mountcastle will keep getting better, and, and, and their farm system is still really good, even with all the guys that have graduated. So I'm with you. I think that Yesterday was sort of an emblematic day. If, if you wanted to read into narratives and say the Red Sox are just not really in sync right now, a 10-9 loss at home to Baltimore gave you that narrative. And if you want to say as well that Baltimore's got some, some really plucky, good players that, that have a, a really high upside, I think yesterday's game said the same story for you. Yeah, and no offense to, to Corey Kluber, who used to be an ace, and Kyle Gibson, um, but like those guys are not part of what, what I'm going to ask you now, which is like a bunch of really true blue aces got rocked yesterday. Uh, Jacob right. DeGrom got, got rocked. Of course, we watched Alec Manoa uh, in St. Louis not get out of the fourth inning. Corbin Burns, Aaron Nola, they all got various de- de- degrees of, of knocked around. Is there anything to that on opening day, the first day of the new rules and like pitch com and, 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 and pitchers calling their own game and the pitch clock? Like, is, is there anything to that or is that just a, a weird anomaly that all those great, great pitchers, and we're talking about DeGrom and, and Burns, like some of the best in the game, that, that those right. guys had really horrible starts to their seasons. No, it's a fair point. A couple of things. I think number one, with respect to Burns and DeGrom, both of them had uneven springs for different reasons. DeGrom was a little bit physically affected early on in camp where he wasn't quite ready. The, the Rangers were very careful with him. I think he only pitched six innings or seven innings in spring. So I think he wasn't as prepared as you would expect. Burns, of course, had the whole arbitration hearing drama with the Brewers, which I'm sure wasn't really helpful in getting ready for the season. So I, I, I looked at some of those outside influences. But I think your point is well taken, that, that if you're a younger starter and you've grown up with this in the minor leagues and are used to the, the pitch timer and, and have a good tempo, you'll be less impacted than some of the guys that, that have had six, seven, eight years in, of their lives where they have not had the pitch timer. So I, I think it's a legitimate observation by you i think we could see some surprising performances early on if Degrom is going to struggle this year though uh, the rangers it's going to be hard for the math to add up in terms of them getting to the playoffs because they've invested so much money in him and they gave him so much more than really his his innings pitched would indicate that he deserved and and so you have to acknowledge with Degrom you're not going to get 33 starts out of him. Mm-hmm. So when he's on the mound, he's got to be really high quality. He, he has to be almost profoundly effective and, and extraordinarily good when he's on the mound to counterbalance the reality that if, if we see a press release land in our inboxes sometime in a few weeks, it says DeGrom's got an elbow strain. He's going to be gone for a couple of weeks. Like, we can't be surprised by that. His, his history says it's exactly what's going to happen at some point. So uh, when he's on the mound, he's got to be great, and he was not great yesterday. No, he wasn't. Speaking of injuries uh, to pitchers, Justin Verlander has a surprise injury pop up yesterday uh, for the New York Mets, and and a guy that I mean, he's had some really healthy years, but he's also forty years old. So the the idea of of him struggling to to make thirty starts, pitch close to two hundred innings, is a very real possibility. Well, what did you make of the, the, the Verlander injury news, and should Mets fans be on high alert for, for a 40-year-old landing on the IL so early? Yeah, no, it's a fair question. I think uh, 
certainly Mets fans are already a little bit concerned because of the Diaz injury in the WBC and Jose Quintana uh, being out for a while as well. With Verlander, I, I, I think there are two ways to look at this, and, and I'm, I'm inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt. When he says that if this was the playoffs, he would have pitched, uh, I, I tend to agree with him and, and believe that's correct. Um, and he, he knows his body really well. I think the last several years he's become especially in tune with just the physicality and the physiology of what, what is required to be a, a 39-year-old and now a 40-year-old uh, effective starting pitcher. And so I, I think that he – I'll take his – his sort of testimony at, at face value from yesterday. But you're right that at some point in time when your age starts with a four, there's going to be a year where your body just doesn't answer the bell. And that's, that's, there is a non-zero chance that 2023 is that year. I don't think it is for Verlander. I really don't. But his velocity was down a little bit. And I, I, I think this might also be Justin realizing that, again, for him – 33 starts is probably not a fair expectation this season. Hmm. And, and if it's 26, 28 really good ones, then he's okay with that. But obviously for him to, to not make the first start and maybe not start for a week or so, it, that, that's now starting to say, okay, now you're down to a max of 31. And are you going to be able to answer the bell every five days from now to the end of the season. And if you can't, then that bumps it down again to 27 or 28. I, I think that Verlander can still be a really great and really effective 26 or 27 start guy. I honestly have a bit more confidence in, in Verlander doing that than I do DeGrom doing that because of DeGrom's history. But uh, it's just it's interesting. This is one of those really fascinating debates. Right now, after after Verlander not starting and DeGrom starting poorly, who do you feel better about for the balance of the year? And I, I would side a little bit with Verlander on that, but we're really in the realm of the unknown on both of them a little bit. And, and this is why pitching, pitching and pitching is the most, this is the most vexing part of the sport. And we're dealing with the new rules. So there, there's just additional vectors and, and uh, layers of variables <laughs> that we're not used to having to think about here in the, the last days of, of March. Uh, at least they won in, in Queens yesterday. They beat the, the Marlins. Right. And um, I, I want to be so skeptical of, of Steve Cohen, um, but he, he's doing a lot of things that, that really do make me smile and, and, and wish I was a Mets fan, right? Like the, the spending to the insane degree that he's done. And then yesterday he's in the stands – with the fans, like, can you remember a, a Major League Baseball owner who's who's down with the with the unwashed, actually watching his team cheering them on like that? Yeah, it doesn't happen very often. And there was the one year when Theo Epstein, of course, wasn't the owner, but Theo went uh, in in disguise with with like the funny nose and glasses and watched the game from the bleachers after the Cubs clinched because he wanted to be out there and just enjoy it from the seats. Uh, but that's like the only time I could think about it. And Theo was wearing a, a disguise at the time. Uh, I, I think that for Steve Cohen to do it, I, I think it's really healthy. There's something to your point, Ben, that for all of us who love sports. Um, and, and it's the advice that I would give, honestly, if anybody ever asked me, as someone who's been a broadcaster, as you've been for a lot of years, you know, what works? What works from a communication standpoint when you're an owner? And I really think that being accessible and accountable and available to your fans is a really good look. And I realize that it's not always practical for a variety of reasons. Uh, these people are billionaires, and they've got you know security and all these other different layers that are around them. 
But I, I just think that what Steve Cohen did yesterday will will wear incredibly well for a long time. And and when if, if there's ever a Mets conversation that comes up on a national radio show three months from now, someone says, you know, but you know what? Steve Cohen sat with his fans and listened to them. And I just think that that buys you the benefit of the doubt in a way that if it's a more, uh, you know, if it's a, if it's an owner that has a bit more distance, it's harder to to get that equity with your fans when you don't interact with them like that. So I think, to your point, good on Steve Cohen for doing it, and I think he he sort of earns the benefit of the doubt with people like you and me for a long time as a result of what he did yesterday. Uh, The Angels haven't earned any benefit of the doubt the way they've played despite having some of the best players in the game over the last, what, decade, half decade, if you include Otani in there. Uh, And they did, like, the the Angels thing yesterday. Otani was spectacular in striking out 10 and, and got a base hit in the game, and they lost um, to an inferior right. team in the Oakland A's. And, hey, maybe it's just one loss, and, and maybe it's not you know the start of what we think could, could be another disappointing season where they missed the playoffs with, with Otani and Trout. But maybe it is the, the start of something um, that requires a conversation about Otani's uh, future at the trade deadline. Also, there's the, I don't know if you've, you've been following this thing that's breaking now-ish that uh, Anthony Rendon got into a bit of a... He was caught on camera getting into a bit of a, a physical altercation, like grabbed a fan right. by by the jersey and and took a swing at him, and and luckily for everybody, missed. Like that, I mean, for game one to be that level of frustrated is 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 pretty. I don't know. It, it's maybe an indicative of something, John. Yeah, yeah. All is not well with the Angels right now. Uh, I've I've seen the video. It's obviously unsettling and, and I'm not sure what what will be uh, what will come of it because I, I think obviously MLB and the Angels have to look into it uh, I'm sure the A's from the standpoint of, of their their club uh, what what happened right before then I think we've all seen enough videos on on Twitter or Instagram whatever it might be that that we have to remember the context of things and what happened before the camera was rolling uh, is important to keep in mind but obviously it's not a good look and uh, it's not a good look to, to lose the ball game it's not a good look to to have that be the case and, and I think also you, you do sort of wonder the larger question about about team unity and why why Rendon was there sort of uh, almost on an island by himself, interacting with a fan, and, and teammates are walking by. It was just it, all of it seemed rather strange, and and I just I don't know I, I don't know what the backstory is. Again, there's a lot of information that we don't have, but what I do know is that that's not the way that this season was supposed to start for the Angels. And if and if they were trying to convey, and again, if you're Otani and 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 you begin your year this way. And then you see somebody that's supposed to be one of the pillars of the franchise engaging with a fan in that way after a game one loss. Does it exactly scream to you that you want to spend the rest of your career with that organization? Probably not. And I think that's that is uh, every game, every night for the Angels is is a, a pressurized opportunity to win a ball game and to prove the most unique talent in the world in our sport, at least and maybe in any sport right now, that you want him to be with you for the long term. And certainly uh, yesterday was a loss in both columns. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I, I was going to say not unexpected. I would say, yeah, no, it, it is always unexpected when somebody uh, tries to grab a fan and, and take a swing at right. him. But yeah, yeah. But, that, but them losing the game uh, in a game that Shohei Otani pitched great in, that's not unexpected. John, uh, it's great to have baseball back. Great to talk to you. 
Have a wonderful weekend. All, all the best. Enjoy game two tomorrow. And, hey, how about this? We got Saginaw, Michigan hosting the Memorial Cup. I am, uh, as, as someone who loves to find occasions to bring together Canada and the U.S., pretty cool event there. So proud, proud of my home, uh, home state there, home region, to be hosting that event. That is awesome. Uh, yep, yeah, we'll be watching. Thanks, John. All the best. Thanks, guys. Take care. Uh, there's John Morosi, MLB Network. So if you want to indicate to us that you're, you're confident with the way your team's built, and, yeah, it is just one of 162, and I know, okay, Shoy Otani did the thing where he's really good and we didn't support him because we stink, uh, but that's, that's just a one-off. That's, like a, that's not a harbinger of horrible things to come. You probably wouldn't be freaking out after nine innings of baseball. In game one of the regular season, but they were freaking out. And Anthony Rendon really hasn't been a part of those teams that have disappointed because, man, hasn't been healthy. Played 47 games last year, played 58 in 2021 after signing that massive contract with uh, with the Angels. He hasn't been healthy. So maybe that that adds to it. Maybe like, maybe... He's thinking about the fact that, man, I came back and I'm, I'm healthy and I'm, I'm trying to contribute and already I'm being lumped into what has been a horrible, horrible narrative around this team. Or maybe it's just that, yeah, no, this, this, that core is rotten and Choi Otani's playing his final season there, maybe even half season, and that was, you know, just a, a little slice of what's to come for that Angels team. All right, when we come back, it is the Raptors in Philadelphia tonight to play the potential MVP in Joel Embiid and the Sixers. And Nick Nurse is still the head coach of the Toronto Raptors. Will this be his final season as the head coach of the Toronto Raptors? Well, if you read Doug Smith's most recent piece in the Toronto Star, you might get the sneaking suspicion that, yeah, this, this could be it. And an interesting name could be coming in next season. We'll talk to Doug Smith next as the fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Drive time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I am Ben Ennis. So the Raptors finally climbed the, uh, climbed the mountain that was 500. They are 38 and 38. Can they get above 500? Well, it would be uh, quite a feat to beat the Philadelphia 76ers on the road in Philadelphia tonight with the potential MVP in the lineup, Joel Embiid. Um, so on the uh, Toronto Stars website, star.ca, there is a story. With the headline, Raptors insider, is Nick Nurse destined for the Rockets? Rumors suggest Ime Udoka could replace him in Toronto, which is quite an interesting headline. Uh, The story is written by our next guest, Doug Smith of the Toronto Star, kind enough to join us today. How's it going, Doug? Not bad, Ben. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. So uh, Nick Nick Nurse's contract does take him through next season. Um, What do you think the likelihood is that, that he is the head coach of the Toronto Raptors on opening day next season? Uh, right now, I would say 50-50, but things, things are, you know, Ben, things are so fluid this time of year in hockey and basketball and the season come to an end. Things, attitudes change, fortunes change, opportunities present themselves that no one thought would be out there. 
but I, I would say 50-50 these back in September. So, so yeah, again, like this, these are just rumors and, and, and sure. nobody's speaking with a, a super high level of certainty, I, I suppose. But if, if you were to, to, to point to one person in this relationship, whether it be Masai Ujiri or Nick Nurse, like who is, who is pushing the other away? Is, it, is this coming more from the Raptors or is this coming more from Nick Nurse? You know what, Ben? I don't think it's coming from, in that regard, I don't think it's coming from either side. Hmm. I think maybe it's just time. You know what I mean? Like, things run their course. And things run their course here with Dwayne Casey. They ran their course here with Sam Mitchell. They ran their course here with Vince Carter, for goodness sake. Things just, they just come to a natural end. And maybe, maybe after five years, we're at the time where it's, it's okay. It's the best for everybody if we reevaluate this and maybe make a change. Is that not unusual to have? I mean, yeah, they 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 fired a guy that just won Coach of the Year. I get it, but you know, Nick Nurse is you know he he might go into the Hall of Fame. He brought the first NBA title to to this city, um, and that was only four years ago. Is that is that a quick turnaround to be departing the organization? I, I think it will be seen around the league and around the industry as pretty quick. But as, as life goes on, uh, timelines get sped up. And five years as a head coach of an NBA team, but that's, a, that's a pretty good run when you consider other guys who haven't had that kind of luxury. We don't have any Eric Spolsters or Greg Popoviches or Phil Jacksons anymore. I, you look at, there's a lot of burn in the coaching ranks. And maybe that's just the way the game is going. And again, I don't know that this, it will happen. And I don't know that it should happen, but I think the possibility exists that it will. And that, that's new because a lot of people in a lot of different levels around the league are talking about it. Yeah, no, it's super interesting. And it, I mean, one of the interesting elements of it is, like I mentioned, yeah, they fired a, a coach of the year. Uh, and Masai Ujiri handpicked the guy that, that he hired to, to be on Dwayne Casey's staff to be the next head coach. Um, and that that he might be looking at a, a different head coach. Again, not saying that he's the guy that is the impetus for this change. What, how would you describe the relationship in, in 2023 between Masai Ujiri and Nick Nurse? I think it's very professional. I think they respect each other for what each other does for the organization and the franchise. I, I wouldn't say they have go up, they go out for dinner four nights a week, but I don't think Masai did that with Dwayne, and I don't think Brian Klein did that with Sam. That's not how it is. It's a very... A very cordial professional relationship. Mazai's the chair, vice chairman and the president, the guy who runs the show, and Nick works for him. So there is that that dynamic is there. But they get along. It's not like they're at each other's throats or even undercutting each other privately. Like we talk a lot of us talk to a lot of guys outside of the scrum. And there's no indication that they're sniping at each other or don't like each other or Nick's sick that he's had a bad roster. From his eyes, stick that he hasn't developed a backup point guard. That's not there. I think it's a very professional relationship. There, there was the comment from Masai after the trade deadline about maybe getting a. And I don't know if he said it explicitly, but he was talking about maybe getting a a, a closer look or more extended look at some of the young uh, guards. And I, I think. I took that as, as, hey, maybe we can make a decision on Malachi Flynn if we see him on the floor a little bit more. Do you think there's any disagreement between the deployment of, of a guy like a Malachi Flynn um, between Masai Ujiri or the, the front office, Bobby Webster, we can throw him in there as well, and, and Nick Nurse? Oh, sure. And that happens at every, in basically in every sports organization. 
manager wants to see what guys got. Coach has got to win games. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know. I'm sure in the baseball, the, the, the Blue Jays ownership would like to see kids play in the outfield. And John Schneider's got to win a game tonight. And the, the, the wins and losses go on a manager's name. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's. Yeah, I think Messiah and Bobby would love to know exactly where Malachi Flynn is. They'd like to know exactly where Delano Banton before he got hurt is. But Nick's got to win a game every night because it's on his record. And when the, the season when the season comes to an end, he's the guy making a call. How, how much of an impact in season do you think a, a head coach can have on wins and losses, Doug? In the NBA, I don't know, maybe maybe five games either way. Because you still got to make a shot or, or or get a stop. You have to do that. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy used to have a great a great analogy. When he, you go, you watch the highlights of the last second play, where it's a win or lose situation, where you you make a call in a timeout, you run a play, and the guy gets the shot off, and you stop the play, stop the video with the ball in the air, and you say, is that a good play or a bad play? You don't know whether the ball goes in or not because that's that's sports, and I think that. That's the kind of thing that coaches should get judged on. I got a good shot. My guy didn't make it. But I would say if you want to put a number on it, maybe five games either way in a year, which is, in the end of the grand scheme of things, not an awful lot. Yeah, I will say, though, if the Raptors had, had five more wins, um, we'd, have a, sure. we, we'd be having a, a different conversation right now. And I, I do want... If they, had, if they had five more losses, we'd be all over Victor Wembayana. That's <laughs> That's right, and for the long-term future of the franchise, might be a little bit better. But yeah, if if you look back at at, at where we are now, like to, to get to thirty-eight and thirty-eight, like is there a possibility that with some different coaching, maybe we're we're, we're talking about a, a team that is outside of the the play-in picture? I guess both positively and negatively. I don't think so. I think this team is what it is. I think they they scuffled through the first fifty games because they had guys hurt. They had guys got in and out of the rotation. They were experimenting with rosters, with, with playing locations that were a little bit weird. But I understand why Nick did them. This, you know, this a lot of this year was about whether what Scotty Barnes would become. And in the start of the year, they gave him a lot of responsibility he probably wasn't ready for. Mm. And maybe they lost a couple games there that they should have won. But I'm sure if you go through the log, they won a couple games they should have lost. So a different coach, I don't think. I don't think makes a, a huge amount of difference in where the team would have been or is. So, so we heard Nick, Na- Nick Nurse's name mentioned uh, a bit, uh, you know, when the Lakers had their coaching uh, opening, and uh, and Darvin Ham was eventually hired there. Um, the Rockets is a is a different deal. That's that's a different situation to go from the Toronto Raptors to to the Houston Rockets. What why do why do the Rockets make sense for Nick Nurse? Well, he's got a history there. Coach that Rio Grande Viper team and the Rockets really team forever. He's got a bit of a history with a guy named Gerson Rosas. They went for, worked for the Rockets, went to Minnesota, got let go there, and the ownership changed. He's now an advisor to the Knicks, and some people suggest he might go back to Houston. Yeah, he's got, Knicks got some ties down there, and I think that's the people that I've talked to in the last seven or eight days have suggested those ties are pretty strong. And if he's not if he's not a head coach of the Raptors. Houston would certainly make the call because it's obviously not working there with Steven Tyler. Mm-hmm. I, it's just not working, and it hasn't worked for two years. They got they got some good young bits, but their team is no better than it was the start of the 2022-23 season at all. And you add like Steve Henderson or Wimbayana or somebody like that to that roster, then a, a little creative kind of new energetic coach with new ideas, 
he might make stuff happen. Mm. Uh, nuts and bolts. How how would that work? Because I mentioned that uh, Nick Nurse still has another year on his deal. Would would the the Raptors like um, effectively fire him, or would they be looking for compensation from the Rockets if if he were to move on? No, I think there would be there would be a it would be we mutually decided to part ways, mm. and there would be some sort of financial negotiation for the last year of the contract, and maybe it would come. Uh, would be taken off the end result of any new job he got. There'd be like a, like a, a, a buy-off thing there. But again, that's all. That's money minutia. And mm-hmm. at that level, of the NBA, the money is just the money. Again, yeah. you suck it up and you pay it. You go. They paid. They paid. Raptors paid a lot of people not to play or coach <laughs> over the years. That's not a big deal. No, uh, I, I last heard that MLSE has a lot of money. Um, so and they'll they'll be paying a new coach who may be the the former head coach of the the Boston Celtics who led that team to the finals a year ago and Ime Udoga who was uh, covered in controversy um, and his his split from the Celtics was was covered but not maybe explicitly told what the the issue was that that led to his dismissal uh, in Boston there was also the rumor that he was going to take over the Nets and then like it felt like the the public backlash. It caused the Nets to reverse course and not hire him. Why does Ime Udoka make sense as as the next head coach of the Toronto Raptors? Oh, I, I'm not sure that he does, but I, I I'm just saying what, what I wrote this morning was or yesterday was his name is out there, and that's the name that, that I, I keep hearing at different levels. He has ties to Masayu Jiri. They, they know each other forever. I think they might have worked together in, in Denver at one time. Um, you know, but Ime Udoka is a, he's a, he's on the Greg Popovich coaching tree, so he's got to have some coaching chops. And I understand that he got let go in Boston after a very cloudy, bad situation. Mm-hmm. But as I as I wrote, I don't know, you don't know, no one knows. And you got to trust that the Raptors, should they go down that path, would have done as much due diligence as they possibly can. Yeah, no and question. I don't know. I don't know what the end, res- end resolution will be. And I think they will absolutely look at other guys. I think Earl Watson will be on the list because there's people in the franchise who like him a lot. I, I said today they should go. They should call Sergio Stariolo. Mm. See what's going on there. But so, but Doki is going to be on the list of names. Yeah, and that's that's the one that people are going to gravitate to because of what's going on with them. I, I I wonder if um, because of the, the the corporate ownership of of MLSE between Rogers and Bell, if that's like an even like I, I, I'm sure you know Masai Ujiri, Bobby Webster would be doing their due diligence either way on Ime Doka, but I wonder if it's like. The, the 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 hoops you have to jump through are even higher and smaller because of you know the the publicly traded nature of the guys that are at the the head table of MLSE. Oh, hundred percent, Ben. They they would have to if and this again, it's a huge if. If they got to the point where they wanted to hire Ime Doka, there would be an awful lot of high level meetings that would involve guys with the name of like Cannonbaum and Doka. This wouldn't be just as I going here. Here's my guy. Let's Here's a contract, just sign it. There's a lot of other stuff that have to go on. Uh, so if this is it for Nick Nurse and he plays out this season and, and say the Raptors win a play-in game and, and they, they get into a first-round series and lose, uh, this is a guy that won a championship in 2019. Like, what is Nick Nurse's legacy in the in the city of Toronto if this is his last season? Like you said, Ben, the guy won a championship. Yeah. And we don't have a – the city of Toronto doesn't have a lot of them. He got him one. So I think his legacy is pretty solid as – would he be the best coach in Raptors history? Certainly the most successful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that's a pretty good – look at what he's done. The team after the championship team, 
that team should have won the title in a bubble. Yep. So they got bad. Pascal didn't play. Pascal Siakam didn't play well. Marcus Paul didn't play well. But that was a. If that season plays out without COVID, they they win again. I really believe they would have won again. They were they were stacked and they were rolling. Yeah, they, it would have been great to see um, because it would have meant that we didn't have to live through those two years of our lives as well. Is that, is that part two? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so we got Joel Embiid tonight. Is is he your MVP if if the uh, season ended today? Oh man, don't ask. Uh, you can't ask me. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> last year, last year I voted for Jokic. This year, today I would probably vote for Embiid, but I would have. I got I got a lot of. I got a week and a half to look at it, and I'm going to take an entire week and a half to do it. Yeah, it's amazing how how the odds have changed like over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, you get a couple of bad games and and the Nuggets slump just a little bit. And, you know, some people write some pretty pointed things about Jokic's defense and and Embiid does a bit of a a, a PR campaign. And and the narrative has has switched. All right. How about this, Doug? Do you think the odds are? Right now, like, do you think it's it's very very likely that Embiid wins the MVP if, if, if voting happened right now? I do, yes, I, I think so. I think I think he has elevated elevated his game from this point last year more than Jokic has, and I think that will probably be the thing that puts him over the top. All right, but before we let you before we let you go, like the the Western Conference playoff race is is super interesting because of the teams that could be in the play-in tournament, and honestly one of the teams that could be out of it, and that's the Dallas Mavericks, after trading for Kyrie Irving and face-planning since then, and it's, I guess you don't have to point directly at Kyrie because he's had some good games there, and we haven't heard anything behind the the scenes about him causing uh, discord um, behind the scenes and in the locker room with the Mavs. But if they miss the play-in tournament altogether, Doug, with a guy who's an MVP candidate year over year with Luka Doncic, like what is the future of – how can anyone sell themselves on Kyrie Irving being the solution to anything? My very good friend Kyle is a huge Dallas Mavericks fan, and he swears by Luka Doncic forever. And we talked today, and we would love to be able to blame Kyrie, but I'm not sure it's his fault. Because that roster is absolutely flawed. And it was flawed before they gave away all their good defenders to get Kyrie. So I think, I, I, I get that Mavericks will be seen as a huge disappointment, but I think the focus has to be on the management as opposed to the players. And also, I don't think Jason Kidd is very good coach anyway. So. Yeah. Well, hey, maybe that's a place that makes sense for Nick Nurse if he's moving on. <laughs> it's Texas. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, it could, it could make a, a ton of sense. Uh, Doug, really I- enjoyed the, the, the piece written yesterday. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. No problem, Ben. Take that back down the road. See ya. There's Doug Smith of the Toronto Star. Again, the story is Raptors insider. Is Nick Nurse destined for the Rockets? Rumors suggest Ime Udoka could replace him in Toronto. And, and as it's mentioned in the story, these are rumors that are generally or uh, originating outside of the Raptors organization. But uh, Doug Smith has been around the block couple of times when it comes to the Raptors, when it comes to the NBA. So when he says it's a 50-50 shot that Nick Nurse is not the head coach of the Toronto Raptors for the 2023-24 season, uh, you definitely, your ears perk up when you hear that. All right, speaking of of Nick Nurse, we have some pregame audio from Philadelphia as the Raptors getting set to play the Sixers. And the first game, first media availability for this team since that very intriguing article was posted on the Toronto Star website. Here is the head coach of the Toronto Raptors, for now, Nick Nurse. Here's what I would say. Probably probably two things. Like, uh, first of all, um, 
I think when this season gets done, um, you know, we'll evaluate everything and and even personally, like I'm going to take a few weeks to to see where I'm at. You know, like you said, where's my head at and just see how the relationship with the organization is and everything. It's been 10 years for me now, which is a pretty good run. Um, and I don't know, over those 10 years, I, we got to be up there with some number of wins for with anybody in the league. I don't, I don't even know where that is, but we've had a lot of good seasons. Um, and then, right now, my head is to get this and make this as long a season as possible. This, this team needs playoff experience. Right. So um, that is where I'm at right now. OK, well, where you're at sounds to me like you're gone at the end of the, like, I know it, it became something else at the end there. It's like, hey, want to go as far as we can this season. But you, the, you said the whole thing in the previous 50 seconds where you're like, it's been a long time. Ten. Who says it's been a long time and it's been 10 years within the organization? It's like and I want to make it. 30 no like you're you're the next thing is clearly it's been a long successful run with this organization in yeah 10 years because it goes back beyond uh being a head coach of course being one of Dwayne Casey's assistants before he was boosted into the top chair when Casey was fired and then immediately won a championship because they they got Kawhi Leonard but no man that um we just talked to Doug and he said 50 50 I'll tell you right now you give me odds that it's that represent it's 50-50 on Bet Rivers. I'm I'm emptying my bank account and putting it all into Nick Nurse, not the head coach of his basketball team next year. Now apparently there's another clip that is he talks even more directly about this, but I I don't know what other fuel I need to this fire because yeah, this and by the way, before we get to this next clip, this is something that you talk to people who are in the know around these parts who say that, yeah, that, you know, the Masai Ujiri comments at the trade deadline, that there's, those guys are not necessarily seeing eye to eye this season, that there's some players that are not necessarily seeing eye to eye with Nick Nurse. And this is not necessarily unusual of a basketball team, but that's a, yeah, he's not walking on water the way he was not just during the championship season, but as Doug Smith rightly presented after that, when he won coach of the year, when that team was, what, second in the East going into the bubble when Pascal Siakam wasn't allowed to touch a basketball for, for two months and then asked to play at the highest level in the sport? Okay. Uh, all right, here's, a, here's another clip from Nick Nurse uh, addressing rumors that this could be his final season as the head coach of the Toronto Raptors. Put more thought then into, for whatever the reason, you might not be back next year? No, I, I think that I'm concentrated on this, this job for sure and this game essentially, but I think that I think 10 years is a good time to sit back and reflect a little bit, right? So I think that's where we're going. We'll do that all when the season ends. Okay, you didn't, if there was really nothing to this, and even if there was something to it, but you didn't want people talking about it, their butt, like that part of it, you didn't have to do it. Hey, ask, hey, uh, hey Ben, uh, are you going to be the head coach of the Toronto Raptors last year? You have, or next year you have one, one more year on your deal yeah, I'm focused on winning a basketball game. Like, what are you talking about? No, this is, we're in, we're at 500. We finally got to 500 for the first time since December. This is a team with high expectations. That That's not, that's the furthest thing from my mind. 
Not, oh yeah, I've been here 10 years. That's a long time, right? See you later. <laughs> Might as well have been. There's absolutely no chance Nick Nurse is the head coach of the Toronto Raptors in 2023-24. I tell you, Ime Udoka would be, uh, that'd be an interesting opening press conference, wouldn't it? Yeah, very much looking forward to the, the questions asked at that bad boy. All right. Time now for last call. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. We got uh, Raptors playing that aforementioned basketball game in Philadelphia against the Sixers team. And by the way, Nick Nurse, um, he, he he talked about the game plan against Joel Embiid for tonight's game and said, yeah, we're going to show him some stuff, but not the whole game plan because, you know, got to keep our powder dry in case we meet the, this team in the playoffs. Like, that is virtually impossible. The The Sixers and Toronto Raptors cannot really meet until the second round so that's that's quite a that's a very bullish opinion of the toronto raptors that just about nobody shares with nick nurse if he believes that to be correct but yeah he has a pretty good uh history pretty good track record of shutting down joel Embiid. uh sixers though at home as you would expect being third in the eastern conference and the raptors just being at 500 our favorites five point favorites at home against the raptors tonight leafs Play a couple of games over the weekend. I don't know why they're doing this. And what is it? Back-to-back weekends. They're playing Saturday, Sunday. They got Ottawa and uh, Detroit this weekend. Uh, the Senators tomorrow night on Hockey Night in Canada. And the postseason picture waving goodbye to the Ottawa Senators. Uh, despite the fact the future is probably bright for them. Uh, Ryan Reynolds showing up at games. But uh, Leafs. Minus 150 favorites over the Sens, who are plus 125. We don't know which game Ilya Samsonov is going to start, whether it's Saturday or Sunday. And it looks like probably no Ryan O'Reilly, at least this weekend, although he's ready to go, like almost a full participant in practice. All right, that was Last Call, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Blue Jays back in action tomorrow in St. Louis. Blake will be back on Monday. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. This has been the Fan Drive Time. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.